Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello and welcome to the Healthy Herb Podcast, a place of information and inspiration for the home herbalist. I'm Bridget Doherty of the Solidago School of Herbalism, coming to you from a bridged island on the coast of Maine. In today's show, I'm talking about the beautiful herb calendula. Before we get started, I want you to know that I'm not a doctor, nor do I diagnose or treat people. What I share is based on my own experience and what I've learned from my mentors. Ultimately, I want you to be empowered in seeking and achieving your own version of optimum health. I want you to be inspired to connect and relate to the common plants that grow all around you. Together, let's make home herbalism be as common in the everyday household as cooking a healthy meal. Now, without further ado, let's have some fun and dig in. Calendula officinalis is an herb that was one of the very first herbs that I really started connecting with when I was really getting into herbalism and started working with. And I think it is a great herb as a place to start because it grows really easily. It can even grow in a pot. It grows abundant. If you keep plucking the flowers, it will keep producing them. And it makes a wonderful topical remedy as well as an internal remedy. Plus it's very gentle. So it works really well with all ages from uh, infants all the way to elders and everywhere in between. Calendula officinalis is the botanical name, although the most common name for it is also calendula. It's also sometimes called marigold or pot marigold, is one of the older common names. And it's in the Asteraceae family, the aster family. It has a genus uh, that has about 15 different species in it, but the officinalis species is the one that is used medicinally. And officinalis for a species name basically means it was the official species that was used in pharmacy um, back in early Europe. It's uh, being called marigold. It could be confused with the other plant that we called marigold, where the genus is tagetes. It's uh, T-A-G-E-T-E-S. And that marigold is not really worked with medicinally. It's a very strong, or I don't work with it medicinally. Um, You'll often see it, you know, hung in garlands or planted with tomatoes to keep nematodes away. 
uh, and it has a, a strong scent and beautiful color. It makes a great annual flower in pots and in gardens. But we're talking about calendula, which is not this, that marigold. Calendula, another common name for it is poor man's saffron because it does impart like a beautiful yellow gold color. It has a lot of carotenes in it and to food. And so it could be used in place of saffron just for, as more of a coloring agent. Marigold, the term marigold actually comes from being called Mary's gold, named for the Virgin Mary. And it is a beautiful golden color, often the yellow color. There's also a really dark orange color, which I think is better medicinally, but they all work well. Calendula was associated with Catholic festivals celebrate that celebrated the Virgin Mary in the Middle Ages. The origins of this plant is in both North Africa, Egypt area, and also the Southern Europe, Europe Mediterranean area. But it has been used in England medicinally since the 12th century. So it obviously made its way around uh, with humans because they found it so valuable. And then it also um, made its way to North America as a medicinal remedy as well, originally. I don't really see it naturalizing, but it can naturalize in your garden if you let it go to seed, which is a great thing to do, I think. So in the original climates where it's from, you know, Egypt or the Mediterranean, it is a perennial. But here in um, where I live in Maine and many other places where it gets cold in the winter, it's grown as an annual, which means it just lives for one year. The name calendula is derived from a Latin word calendae, which is the same derivative that uh, calendar is derived from. And there's an old English word calends. Calends is basically the first day of every month in the ancient Roman calendar, which from my understanding, was also the day of the new moon. And calendula is really known to be a plant that stays colorful and vivid throughout the changing seasons, except for winter, and can bloom in every month of the year in some regions of the world, where, especially where it stays warm throughout the year. And also the flower opens as the sun rises and closes at night. So it was really seen both as a solar plant, a plant that loves the sun and it really interacts with the sun. I mean, I guess all plants interact with the sun, but the flower, and this is not the only flower that does this, but opens and closes with the sunlight. And that it's thought that it was, its name is derived from the same word as calends or calendar because it blooms and is so abundant throughout the year. And I will say that even now in October in Maine, of course, we're having a very stellar October this year, very warm, but the calendula is still blooming and quite likely where you live as well, it's still blooming. So you can still get out there and harvest it and work with it or find a friend that's growing it that maybe you could harvest some flowers from to play around with. There is a little bit of folklore out there from the calendula plant. And I think Anne McIntyre 
in her book, The Complete Floral Healer, talks about it the best. And I love this book, The Complete Floral Healer. If you don't have it yet, definitely check it out. She goes, it's basically a Materia Medica. Um, it has beautiful photographs and a really nice write-up of a variety of different herbs, but mostly ones that the flowers are worked with medicinally or the aerial flowering tops of the plant. And she often talks a lot about the folklore as well as how it can be useful as a remedy, which is really nice. So check out this book if you haven't already found it. And I'd like to read just this one paragraph that talks about some of the folklore. Marigold or calendula flowers, according to Culpepper, are an herb of the sun and under the influence of Leo. They've always been associated with the sun's journey across the sky because they open when the sun rises and close as it sets. Shakespeare, as the lines above suggest, was aware of Marigold's association with pain and grief. Some say this is because the flower dearly mourns the departure of the sun when its petals are forced to close. Others say that it derives from South American and Mexican lore. After the Spanish conquistadors murdered many Aztecs in their search for gold, the little red flecks that appear on some marigolds were said to symbolize their blood. Another story from Greek mythology tells of Caltha, a girl who fell in love with Apollo, the sun god, but was melted by the power of his rays. In her place grew a solitary marigold. The sad association of marigold with grief and pain is said to be dispelled if marigolds are mixed with roses. The two flowers together symbolize the sweet sorrows of love. And the phrase that she mentioned uh, above, where she was talking about Shakespeare, Shakespeare has a quote where he wrote, the marigold goes to bed with the sun and with him rises weeping. And I've heard that that weeping is in reference to a dewdrop, that when it closes, that, you know, maybe like one drop of dew is contained within the flower. And then as it opens, that one drop of dew is released from the flower and drips down the petal as if to appear like a teardrop. So, and I also thought that that was suiting since last week we talked about roses and this week talking about calendula. And these are two really beautiful flowers and they also make really beautiful additions to any sort of um, plate or teacup. So I often, when I make tea blends, you know, for fun or for friends or as gifts, or if you see people that develop tea blends, it's really nice to have some really pretty floral, gently flavored, but beautiful petals to really brighten up what how a tea blend looks um, to the eye to make it more appealing. Or if you want to start selling teas, it's really nice to have some color in your tea blends so it doesn't just look like a mix of green leaves. And calendula is one of the herbs that is a really nice accent here and it's also very mild tasting and same with the rose petals and they could be really beautiful together the bright orange and yellow of calendula and the deep reds and gentle pinks of roses 
Let's get into the actions of calendula. One of the main actions that I think of calendula is as an alterative. And these are, this is a group of, or an action of herbs that I really appreciate and like to work with. Alteratives or alteratives um, basically help to alter the body toward a better state of health. And the herbs that tend to be alteratives work with the organs that are in charge of metabolism and elimination. The liver, digestion, kidneys, and the lymph. Certain alteratives, affinities for specific organs. And I would say calendula, in my mind, has an affinity really for the lymph, but it also has an affinity for our digestive processes. And then as a side, it's also can be beneficial for the liver and, you know, kind of full body. But basically, alteratives improve the functioning of our organ systems that support assimilation and elimination and bring us toward a greater state of health. Calendula is also an astringent, which helps to tighten uh, mucous membranes and has a little bit more of like a tighten and release effect on cells. So astringents almost give ourselves cells a little workout from my understanding. Calendula is also considered a tonic, especially for the immune system. And tonics, a lot of people ask me what a tonic is. And I think of tonics as uh, tonifying an organ or an organ system. So it's like exercise or going for uh, regular walks would be a tonic for our muscles where it's actually like giving them a workout, improving their strength and tone. And it's something that needs to be done repeatedly. So you can go for one walk and you're really not going to get much of a toning effect on your muscles. But if you go for a walk three to five times a week, months on end, you're really going to start noticing a difference in the benefit of your muscles. So that's kind of how tonic herbs work in that if you take them for a long period of time or in some sort of pattern of taking them, then they will really benefit whatever system they have an affinity for. But it's not a one-shot deal. Calendula also is an antiseptic, um, antiviral, antifungal, antibacterial. So along with being an immune tonic, it also has the ability to not only help our body fight infections, but it has an ability to help to fight infections unto itself because it has these, you know, some volatile oils in it and some resins that are its own immune system its own ability to help itself stay healthy and to fight off infections. And so then we can also reap those benefits as well. Another benefit of calendula is it has the ability to be a diaphoretic and a febrifuge. So both of these actions deal with um, 
helping to reduce fevers. Diaphoretics help to carry heat and blood flow to the surface of our body and open the pores and release heat and sweat. Sometimes in doing so, it will raise the body's heat a little bit. It also just helps to improve circulation to the extremities. A febrifuge is known to reduce fevers. So calendula, following all this, immune tonic, diaphoretic, antiviral, antifungal, antibacterial, a great herb for when you have a cold or a flu. Antispasmodic, so helps to reduce muscle spasms, and that could be usually both in the uterus and in the digestive tract. Along with that, it can be considered a menses modulator, maybe an amenagogue. It does help to bring on delayed periods and help to relieve painful periods as an antispasmodic. Cholagogue. So cholagogue is something that helps with bile flow and production of bile. So this is where it's supporting the liver to produce the bile and also helping the gallbladder to release the bile, especially when we are digesting fatty foods. Also a general digestive tonic, very um, soothing and nourishing to the tissues of the digestive system. And along those lines, it's a emollient, uh, and a vulnerary. So those are, you know, soothing and healing to skin and wounds. Emollients more the soothing aspect and the vulnerary is more of the wound healing aspect, as well as being an anti-inflammatory. And so anti-inflammatory is beneficial for inflammations throughout the body, but definitely, um, especially an affinity for any sort of inflammations of the skin. So those are some general actions of calendula. And now I'd like to dive a little deeper into some of the specific areas of our body that calendula can benefit and get a little bit more specific. So let's start with the skin because calendula is definitely known as a skin herb, an herb that is really nice to add to a variety of facial treatments, whether it's a mask or a infused oil, a lotion, a cream, you'll just see calendula in a lot of um, remedies for the skin. It really has a nice soothing and anti-inflammatory, as we said, effect on the skin. And that's, you know, both our skin externally, but also on our skin internally. I think of our whole digestive tract as like an internal skin. If you were to picture the human body as, say, like a donut. (laughs) So we are kind of like have this inside tube that has an end on either opening on either end, right? And the a skin, a protective skin, mucous membrane lining it, as well as the skin on the outside. Sunburns and also radiation treatment burns is something that you can really think of calendula for helping to ease and heal. Ulcers, again, both internally and externally. 
um, can really help with the vulnerary property as well as the anti-inflammatory, the soothing, and to fight any potential infections that may be brewing in or around those ulcers. People who have chronic eczema or psoriasis, this could be an herb to work with both internally and externally. And I would think of um, teas and maybe even a tincture internally and definitely uh, infused oil uh, externally. Or maybe even like a wash, <clears throat> like a tea that you would apply externally. And then because it has this antiviral property as well as a soothing skin action, we can think of shingles and that it would be really helpful in cases of shingles. And then also fungal skin infections for the same reason, it being antifungal and also healing and restoring to the skin. Any sort of wounds, it can be an anti-infective. It also has the ability to help stop bleeding and can also prevent intense scarring or to help break up old scars. So we can think of surgical wounds. Um, recovering from surgery is, can be really beneficial to apply some sort of calendula ointment or oil to the wound itself and the scar tissue. Varicose veins, it can be help to, because it does help the integrity of our veins. Also, it can help stopping if the bleeding and kind of, especially also in the case of hemorrhoids or bleeding hemorrhoids, it could be really helpful. Maybe even just sitting in a, it would be called a sits bath of the calendula tea where you're just kind of sitting in a bucket or barrel or basin of calendula tea would be a sitz bath. And also anal fissures, it could help to ease and help to heal. Calendula is known to both induce college produ collagen production and also to prevent the degradation of collagen. And collagen is the most abundant protein in the human body. It's found in our bones and our muscles, our skin and our tendons. It's the substance that holds our body together. And it, the collagen actually, you picture it as forming a scaffold to provide strength and structure to the body. So collagen is really important if we're healing from any sort of injury or just to help maintain healthy skin. There's so many other benefits to calendula in different body systems, and we're going to get into those in just a minute. So stick with me, and I'll be right back. Other tissues other than the skin um, that 
calendula can help really soothe and nourish. One is tissues in the mouth. Because it's of its astringent and soothing quality, it can be really um, easing to sore, even ulcers in the mouth or wounds in the mouth and even bleeding gums. So any sort of mm, sore or bleeding issues or just general mouth health. So that could be a tincture or a tea. And then also a classic eye wash or compress for sore and tired eyes or even to fight pink eye infections and to ease the itch and pain. The other way that calendula can really benefit our eyes is that it has a lot of carotenoids in it. It has a hundred times more carotenoid than sweet potato does by weight. And that's what gives it that bright yellow and bright deep orange color. And so if you're really looking to get the carotenes from the calendula uh, for health and nourishment and medicine, then you would like to really focus, I would think, on the dark orange flowers when possible. It's actually the calendula was fed to livestock to make the butter and eggs more orange, and that adds more carotenoids and to those products, increasing the health benefits of those foods. Uh, also, another thing that calendula can benefit is our hair health. So used as a hair rinse, you could just take tea, or if you didn't drink all your tea, you can just bring it into the shower with you, and uh, before you get out of the shower, rinse your hair with it. Now, calendula, I think of as a great herb for mothers, for mothers that um, are pregnant or that are going through childbirth or have just had a baby. And in that way, when I say for pregnant, I'm thinking more like externally as a oil or an ointment. Um, if you feel like you're getting any stretch marks or just to help again with the collagen and the integrity of the skin and the flexibility of the skin. During childbirth, um, it's thought that the calendula can help promote contractions and delivery of the placenta. And it, you know, for this reason, it is often suggested not to be used internally while pregnant. Um, but again, it's such a mild herb that it would, it's hard for me to imagine that it would be a major concern unless you are kind of at, you know, have a really at-risk pregnancy and you're being super cautious and, and safe. But it could be helpful when your body's already in that mode of childbirth. Again, uh, traumatized vaginal tissue from after having gone through childbirth or postpartum perineum tears and anal fissures, which can also happen after giving childbirth and hemorrhoids. All of these things like a calendula sits bath could be really um, nurturing and nourishing and soothing and anti-inflammatory to all of that tissue down there that quite honestly did just go through quite a trauma. I know that's how I felt anyway. Immediately after I gave childbirth, I was like, whoa, that was, that was a traumatic experience. Even though now I think of it, I'm like, oh, it was so beautiful and wonderful. But in the moment, it's, you know, 
things are going on down there that don't normally go on down there. Um, and also for a nursing mother, for soothing the nipples. And if there's any sort of um, wounds on the nipples, it's a herb that's totally safe for babies. So you can feel free to put the oil or um, of calendula on the nipples if they're sore or chapped or pain, in pain from nursing. And then also um, really nice and gentle for baby skin, uh, diaper rashes. Again, it's antifungal. And then also for thrush, if that's an issue, it can also help to fight that. And then other benefits for female body issues, um, any sort of vaginal yeast infections, it could be used as a rinse for. Um, and also known to help reduce cysts in the breast and also um, ease tender and swollen breasts. And that could be both as a massage oil or as like a warm compress if that feels nice. Um, and then probably also internally as well. Also, you know, we talked about really beneficial for after having surgery. And so for post-mastectomy, healing, healing the wounds, healing, um, preventing excessive scarring, calendula could be really beneficial as well. Calendula also has a reputation for treating tumors and cysts that are in the female reproductive system like fibroids and uterine cysts and also cysts in the breasts and intestines. And so this I would also think of as, you know, hit it from both sides, like have some sort of internal preparation that you work with as well as an external preparation that you work with. And for any sort of herpes infections, its antiviral properties could also be, and then also to ease any sort of itch or irritation could be very helpful. We talked a bit about it being an immune tonic. And so for our immune system, uh, and it both helps to fight infections internally, um, as well as it helps promote the flow of our lymph. And if there's any excessive swollen lymph nodes or tonsillitis or lymph nodes that just seem like they've been swollen longer than necessary, working with calendula could be beneficial. And then um, as a cold and flu remedy, especially in children, calendula makes a very mild tasting tea or could even be added to soup broths and then given to children. Potential anti-tumor properties. So that's something to look into if you are dealing with tumors and you're looking at trying to uh, reduce them or prevent them from growing further with herbs, I would definitely look into calendula. And also as an earache oil, like we think a lot of mullein flour infused oil uh, and garlic oil to go into the ear to put, you know, little drop warm drops of oil in the ear and calendula infused oil could also be used similarly. Now we talked a bit about how it's also could be seen as a tonic for and a soothing 
herb for our digestive system. And again, it is very anti-inflammatory, especially for any sort of inflammation in the bowels. It can be very soothing and help to repair the gut lining. It also can ease severe digestive distress and, as we said, help support the gallbladder and help support the liver in making healthy bile. Also, a beneficial for our circulatory system in that it has uh, a great value to our arteries and veins and just improving the integrity of them. And this is one reason why it is beneficial for people who have varicose veins and um, who, and one reason why it kind of helps to act as a diaphoretic is working with the circulatory system. It's, I've read that Arabs have been known to like to feed the calendula to their swift horses. I believe Juliet de Barclay was talking about this. Juliet de Barclay Levy was talking about how the Arab thoroughbred ponies are well regarded worldwide. And one reason is because they are fed calendula and that it helps to improve their speed and their blood flow through their system. So the safety of working with calendula, generally safe for all people, elders, children, um, mothers. Again, there's that possibility. Maybe you'd want to avoid it in pregnancy or at-risk pregnancies, maybe. But there are like the green parts of the plant, the leaves, and maybe even the, the part of the I guess maybe that's the sepal or the part of the flower that's green. Uh, those can irritate the throat, even if they're in tea, but you don't want to eat them. And you generally just want to use the petals or the yellow parts of the calendula. And it could be a possible allergen. People who have strong allergies to plants in the aster family by consuming them, like if you have a chamomile allergy or um, you might, you probably know it if you are allergic or need to be aware of plants in this family, um, then maybe calendula has a very, very, very low risk, but there are some people out there who have reported being allergic to it. So there's lots of different fun and wonderful ways to work with this wonderful plant calendula. One really easy way, and I was, you know, I think I was talking about this earlier in the episode, is that it's really beautiful in tea blends as just like a nice accent as a flower petal. And then also people will add it to soups and salads and biscuits and cakes. So it is actually a flower that you can add to a lot of cooking or baking. And again, that orange golden carotene color really helps to impart some antioxidants and some nutrition for our eye health and to give us 
some chemistry that we can work with to create uh, vitamin A that we need in our body. Also, um, so any sort of water-based extract calendula works well with. So a tea, uh, a compress where you take the tea and like maybe you soak a rag with the tea and then apply topically that rag soaked in the tea. That's what I consider a compress. Um, Mouthwash. So again, we said it's really beneficial for mouth tissue and for our gums. And so just taking that tea and rinsing your mouth with it. You could also take some tincture of the calendula flowers and put it in a little bit of water and rinse your mouth with that as well. Uh, A calendula bath, especially for babies, is really nice. Like some people like a chamomile bath for babies where you just put a little bit of the chamomile tea in the bath water. And you can do that with the calendula as well, especially if there's um, like eczema, those babies often will get or, um, you know, infant acne could be kind of, you know, help to ease the inflammation of. And a sits bath, which we talked about earlier, for any sort of problems down there, you can just sit in the bath water of a calendula tea. I would say that oil-based herbal preparations of calendula are super popular and kind of an interesting place to start with making your infused oils. Um, there's two different ways to make infused oils. One is with dry plant material, and then the oil and the plant material is warmed for a long period of time to help extract that um, those like healing properties from the calendula and impart them into the oil. But you have to just be really careful that you don't fry your calendula flowers and overheat your oil. Um, and you know, there's lots of different techniques for doing that, but even just in like a warm water bath for a long time could be beneficial. Some people um, would even put them in the blender together and blend them up and just to get a little bit more surface area and some agitation and some warmth from the blending action as well. And then letting it sit for a long time, even after it's been in the warm bath, could also be helpful. Now with the fresh petaled infused oil, there's so much water content that is in those fresh petals and in that flower head itself, that you have to just be careful when you're making infused oil with the fresh flowers. Sometimes people will wilt the flowers first, so you still get some of the properties of a nice fresh flower extract infused oil, but you're, you've already wilted the flowers. So there's a lot less water in the flower itself, because let's face it, flower, uh, oil and water really don't mix. And it's a really good way to make a really funky smelling oil. And I have made some funky smelling calendula oils, especially if I've let them sit too long before straining. And I've just thrown a bunch of fresh petals in with some olive oil. I think I would like to try um, a calendula infused coconut oil. I think that that would be turn 
really a beautiful color uh, because, you know, olive oil or these other oils already have a really golden color to them anyway. So sometimes it's kind of hard to see is like, am I really getting the color from the calendula or is that just like the golden color of the olive oil? Uh, but when you're working with coconut oil, which is either clear or white, then um, you can really kind of see that if you are getting a good marrying of the calendula with the oil and seeing if you are getting the carotenes and the color compounds from the calendula into your oil. So I think really my perspective is the wilted freshly wilted flowers in a coconut oil might be the better way to go. And sometimes I'll just pluck the petals from the flower head and only use the petals when infusing an oil instead of the whole flower head just to reduce the amount of moisture. And then you can really, you know, get a lot of petals into a jar. And that's what you want. You want a nice concentrated infused oil. And then once you have that infused oil and it's all strained out, you can just use it plain as a massage oil or a topical oil. But, you know, sometimes oil is a little greasy or let's face it, it's oily (laughs) and kind of hard to work with. It's not really easy to carry around with you because it's so messy um, and it's and it can kind of go bad and within a year or two, it doesn't really last a long time. So once you have that infused oil, you can then make any sort of cream or lotion or ointment or salve. The creams and the lotions aren't going to last very long either because they have water in them. But the ointments and the salves that have like a beeswax or um, a lard that hardens uh, will probably last much longer. The salves definitely, I feel like once you add beeswax to your oil and create a salve, it really extends the shelf life. Although then I always feel like I'm kind of diluting my remedy with beeswax. So that's a something to consider as well, how much wax you're actually going to put in to your oil. And again, there's tons of recipes and you can just kind of play around with it as well. I find one of the best ways, the best tricks when I'm making salves with beeswax and herbal infused oil is I'll, you know, I think I'll put maybe two thirds oil and one third beeswax roughly or three quarters oil and one quarter beeswax always start either have extras of both on hand or start with less wax because you can always add more, but you can't take it out. And then at once you melt all the wax in, you just take a cold um, spoon, metal spoon, and dip it into your warm blend so it's still on the stovetop. And I usually do a double boiler when I'm using the oil and the beeswax. You just want to warm the oil up enough to melt the beeswax so that they can incorporate. And then you just take that spoon, put it on a plate, put it in the fridge to cool it down quickly, and then take it out. Um, Or you can just let it cool at room temperature. And then you can kind of feel the solve and see if you like that consistency. 
And if it feels too hard, then you add a little bit more oil. If you're out of herbal oil, you can just add a little bit of plain oil just to soften it up a little bit. Or if it's too greasy and too soft, then just add a little bit more beeswax and find your happy, your happy medium place. Uh, calendula tinctures really, I think it's a good way to go, especially if you're going to be working with it um, in acute cases of like colds or flus, um, and maybe even. Um, if I was really looking for something to help get my lymph flowing um, and to help reduce lymph node size, then I might consider working with a tincture over a tea or maybe working with them both. And then I love calendula flowers in all of my facial preparations. So uh, facial masks, you can take your calendula flowers and grind them up in a coffee bean grinder to make a powder and then add that powder to with a little bit of clay powder and some honey and a little bit of like rose water is really nice to make a, a paste that you can then apply to your skin and then let it sit and then wipe it off with a warm wash rag once it kind of feels like it's hardened and has um, toned the skin. Calendula petals in steams, facial steams, in foot soaks, um, and then also like we we're talking about in lotions. So calendula is quite easy to grow, which makes it a great, you know, kind of gateway herb into herbalism. It grows really easily from seed, so just plant the seeds. The seeds are really funky and cool looking. And then if you let your calendula go to seed when you're done done harvesting all that you can from it, um, it will probably re-sprout you know, year after year within that general area or throughout your garden, potentially. Um, so if you keep deadheading the calendula as it blooms, then it will keep producing more flowers because it just wants to just wants to make a lot of seeds. And if it if you keep preventing it from making it seeds by picking off all the flower heads, it will just keep putting up flower heads. And you can harvest it either by um, cutting it at the leaf node, which is where the leaves come out from the stem right above the leaf node, and that will allow it to branch out from there and create more flowers at that spot. Or some people just like to pluck the flower heads with their fingers, um, just pinching it with your fingers, although your fingers will definitely get pretty brown and resinous and smell, have a really strong calendula smell to them after harvesting quite a bit of them. I personally love that smell. It just mm, smells so good, but I could see some people would, it's a pretty strong smell, and so you might be a little repulsed by it. So once you've harvested your calendula and you want to do it in the midday, in the sun, away from any rain, like at least 24 hours after it's rained or longer, and because that's when your resins and your oils are going to be more prevalent. And you've, if you've cut the stem, then before you lay them out on a drying rack, you then are going to cut all the flower heads off because really we just want the flower heads. 
and maybe even we just want the petals, but it's easy just to take your flower heads and spread them out on a screen or in a really loose weave basket, but you don't really want them on top of each other or touching each other because again, there's so much moisture content that they could breed uh, fungus um, or mold if they're kind of all piled together. So spread out on a screen or a drying rack, I find is the best way to dry calendula. And in a couple days, they'll shrink so much inside, then you can kind of push them together to make more room on your screen for your next batch of harvested calendula. And really just with a big pot full of calendula flowers on your patio, you can in a summer really harvest quite a bit of flowers from it. Uh, and then, or in your garden, you know, sky's the limit, really. Some say that, you know, maybe they'll dry the whole flowers and then as they use them in teas or um, soaks or whatnot, that they'll pluck the petals off of them so that they don't actually get any green parts. I haven't necessarily gone to that extent myself, but also... When I make tinctures, I make the tincture with the fresh flower, absolutely, if possible. And really, you know, you want to store them totally away from the sunlight. You want to dry them totally away from the sunlight so you can maintain as much of that, those pigments, those carotenoids as possible. And the, even then, over a year's time, you'll just, you could really watch your dried calendula flowers degrade quite quickly. So it's an herb that you really do want to, you know, have a fresh harvest of every year if you're harvesting it yourself. If you're going to purchase it, you want to really purchase the dried herb from a reputable company um, or a local farm. Like you'll just see this really vibrant, really healthy looking dried calendula versus if you were to buy, you know, like a pound off of Amazon from some random company, um, it's going to be really low quality. I did that one time when I was really in a bind and was just looking to get a whole bunch of calendula for some tea blending that I was doing. And I ordered this pound of calendula. It was organic. It looked like it was from a good source. And I opened up the bag and it was more than half of the bag was the calendula had already started going to seed. The, the color was really off. I just had to like totally sift through it and I ended up with like a two-quart jar full of calendula seed heads, which, I mean, then I had a bunch of calendula seed that I could spread, which I guess, you know, that's fine. But um, yeah, not a lot of calendulas. So just be careful when purchasing. You really want a high quality. And I think I would look at Foster Farm Botanicals in uh, Vermont or any sort of local, or, um, you know, it's such an easy herb to grow that most or a majority of small, medium-sized herb farms are going to be growing calendula and selling it. So it's one that you could probably find pretty easily for sale from a local farmer. So, you know, I hope that you found this interesting and have gained a little bit more insight into this beautiful flower 
and that you are inspired to go out and find some of the last blooming calendula either in your garden or your neighbor's garden or your local farmer friend's garden. Harvest some flowers and see what you can do and how you can relate to this plant in some fun and creative and nourishing ways. Thanks for listening. I really appreciate you and you taking time from your life and your schedule to listen in and hopefully glean some information and some inspiration to enhance your journey as a home herbalist. If you appreciate me and this podcast, I would love a five-star rating and a short review if you're listening on iTunes. I really value your feedback, and I would love if you would subscribe so that you don't miss an episode. You can connect with me on Instagram or Facebook. You can send me an email at uh, Solidago Herb School at gmail.com. You can check out my website and connect with me there as well. Uh, you can sign up for my newsletter, which I'll start sending out again this winter, and that's totally free and information based. I have really enjoyed it when listeners, you know, say hey to me on face on Instagram or tell me what they liked about what episode they liked or if you have any questions that have come up from an episode or email me questions, I'm I will answer you back. It might take me a day or two, but I will respond. And I'm also available if you want to talk one-on-one with me, have a private class on your topic of choice or any sort of health condition that you are really interested in learning how herbs can support you in dealing with any health problems, I'd love to talk with you about that as well. So reach out and let's see if we can't get together. And that can be get together via phone or internet or what have you. In the meantime, thanks so much for listening. I'm Bridget Doherty. Until next week, be well, let intuition guide you, and have fun with herbs. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.